I tripped in the office today. Hi, welcome to episode one of the Failure Show podcast. I'm Ben Frank. And I'm Ida Knox. And uh, I live, we both live here in, in Shanghai, China. Yeah, he was going to leave me out of that. Um, I live here too. We live in Shanghai. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, so this is, this is episode one. Um, this is my first podcast to ever do. Ben, are you a podcast vet? Or? Um, no, I am a, I'm a podcast virgin as well. I'm All right, popping, so two podcast virgins coming out. Popping the up. pod cherry. Oh, this is, it's really good that this is going to be a failure-themed show, I think. Uh, yeah. Well, yeah, let's get into that a little bit. This is called The, the Failure Show, and I guess um, Ida and I, both in our, in our spare time, are kind of budding uh, comedians here, yes. here in Shanghai. And, you know, through our personal, professional lives, and especially through comedy, we've 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 done we've, we've we we failed we we've done yeah we've done we've done a lot of failing and we've we've realized that it's especially in comedy but in a lot of other things in life as well failure is essential and it's almost impossible to avoid on the way to to being successful. Boy, I sure hope it's impossible. I haven't avoided it at all. <laughs> uh, yeah, so we uh, Ben and I consider ourselves experts in in very few things, but I think failing is. Is one of them. Um. Yeah. Um, and I guess for me, part of uh, you know wanting to become better uh, as a person and better as a comedian is just kind of accepting that failure is is a part of the process and embracing failure and yes. and hugging t- hugging failure. Yeah. In, in <laughs> fact, just being like, I don't even want success. Just let's let's just let's just fail here. I mean, I do want success. But, sure. But let's sure. let's bring let's. Let's just bring on the failure. Let's just take a big failure shower. Yes. And so part of our failure shower is going to be this podcast. We kind of want to explore failure, talk to people who have failed, um, look at different mediums that you can fail in. Yeah. How many are there? But yeah. I mean, we want to take a look at failures big and small. So just from little, little errors you may have made at work or like a slip of the tongue, like something you, you said wrong to someone, uh, things small like that to kind of big obstacles you faced in your life that you had to overcome. Like that time you ice skated over a kid's fingers and got banned from the ice skating ring when you were a kid. Just as an example, <laughs> as a, a hypothetical example, as right? As a hypothetical example, yes, of course. That yeah. one didn't stick with you at all. You're not still thinking about it 20 years later. It's fine. Yeah. Um, so, so that's, so yeah, anything, anything like that from just a slip of the tongue to, um, an ice skating blunder yeah. that dramatically changed someone else's life and that you, uh, you can't stop thinking about. So Ben, for our listeners who maybe don't know you personally, there's probably like one of you, hi Ben's mom, um, but <laughs> for anybody else out there. I'm not sure mom, my mom knows what a podcast is, so I don't, I don't think we can take that for granted. That's true. And Ben's mom, if you're listening, we're really happy to have you. Um, for, for those of you who aren't Ben's mom, uh, why don't you tell them a little bit about yourself? How did you end up here? Well, um, you know, I guess the short version is I studied uh, started studying Chinese in college and I, I studied it every semester and decided that my junior year 
of, uh, of college that I was going to study abroad in Beijing for a semester. Okay. Um, I liked it. And then I, I came back to the U.S. to finish school. And then a couple years after graduating, I made the move uh, back, to, back to mainland China, mm. moved to Shanghai this time, and uh, started working here for uh, a real estate developer. And now I currently work for the National Basketball Association here yes. in Shanghai. That's cool. Yeah, it's a so, fun. Do you like it? Is that fun? Yeah, it is. It is fun. I'm I'm helping them to develop um, a platform of NBA themed children's play zones in China. Sure. They're yeah, because that's, that's cool. It is. It is cool. It's uh, it, it's cool because it's it, they're they don't exist anywhere in the world. This is the first. We built one in Shanghai. That is the first one anywhere in the world. They're not in the U.S. They're not in any other markets. Yeah. Uh, so these are. I guess that makes sense since there's not kids anywhere else in the world either. So. Right. I mean, who needs who needs playgrounds when you when yeah. you don't have kids? All right. Um, That's so kind of cool. All right. So yeah, it's a fun little fun little project and a, a, a cool company to work for because I've always been a, a big sports fan and in in my life. Been well, doing we real life for two years and five days longer than me. Um, well, it actually might be a year and three hundred and sixty days. I think, right. I think your, oh. your your birthday is five days before mine. That's true. So mm. it's it's the other, yeah. It doesn't quite. Math is really my forte, but yeah. But I had a similar. I studied abroad in China, and then I ended up. Yes, back sorry, in China. Ida. Tell Ida. <laughs> tell us a bit about your story. He's How did you gonna, end up here? He's not going to ask, so I'm just going to tell. Um, yeah. So I I moved to China after I graduated from university. I was a volunteer for a year in Yunnan, and I've been in Shanghai for two years now. So right. Yunnan, for those Yunnan, for those of you who aren't in China, the mm-hmm. other one of you, um, Yunnan is in China. It's southwestern China over by Myanmar. So yeah. I lived out in the boonies for a year. Yeah. The actual boonies. Yeah. Just on top of a mountain. I had to take Dramamine to get there. It was great. Wow. For all the uh, for all the for all the for all the motion sickness. <laughs> Everybody knows what Dramamine is, right? I mean, I know, I know what it is. I, yeah. I don't. I mean, if uh, if you guys don't, don't know, know and you've ever like puked on your shoes in a bus, then you should know. It's great. <laughs> it really helps you avoid that. I, I, yeah, I didn't know if you meant Dramamine or puking on your shoes in a bus. You're just both. Like, you you're should just definitely like, oh, try both of them. These shoes look so much better than they did five <laughs> seconds ago. Exactly. Yeah. It's wonderful. So yeah, this is our first episode, and we're excited. Yeah, and uh, over over the course of. Uh, you know the episode. You'll you'll see the different segments and the different ways that we try to explore the the idea of failure, both uh, both in the news, in our own personal I lives. We're gonna say in the nude. <laughs> you can't. Someone tell. someone's mind is in the gutter. You can't tell, but we're both wearing clothes. I'm yeah. I mean, I I feel like. I mean, I feel like probably a lot of failure does happen in the nude. That's true. So, yes, in the news, in the nude, um, both big and small. In the nude, both big and small, yes. Our own and other people's, so. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So it's, yeah, we're we're really excited to explore this concept and uh, have a lot of fun, just try to take some of the stigma out of failure, just embrace it and give it a... Absolutely. Embracing failure from here on out. Yeah. So, uh... Enjoy listening to The Failure Show. Let's start failing. Fail or pass? Okay, so this segment is called Fail or Pass. Which you might have guessed from the Fail or Pass 
noises that happened. That just happened that you were just listening to that sounded very stately and important. Very stately and important. Yeah. So in this segment, we'll we'll do we'll try to do this every episode. Uh, Ida and I will both bring out one fairly recent news story yes. that involves someone saying or doing something controversial or making some sort of mistake and we're going to judge whether it's yeah. for- forgivable, like if it's not that bad, or if it's like a terrible mistake. An absolute failure, some yeah. might say. So if it's an absolute failure, that's a fail. But if it's not so bad and we can forgive them for it, we'll give them a pass. That, so that's why yeah, we... The that's logical why, conclusion of how that would work out. Yeah, so that's why we call the segment Fail or Pass. Yes. Um, so the one that I'm going, to, I'm going to do this week revolves around a retired... Um, college football coach from the United States named Bobby Bowden. He was, for over 30 years, he was the college football coach at Florida State University. Okay. And he was on one of the most famous sports talk morning shows in the U.S. uh, the other day, and he was talking about some of uh, his, you know, basically kind of how some of his players, especially towards the end of his career, were from single-parent households. So I'm just going to, I'm going to read... That's kind of the jumping off point. I'm going to read his exact quote and uh, what he said about this. Uh, And keep in mind, he's like a he's like a very like southern gentleman. He's old. He's like 87 years old now. Sure. Um, So I'm I'm from the American South, so southern gentleman on point. Yeah. Um, So I I will read it in my normal voice. Okay. um, But just keep that in mind. Not your Bobby Bowden voice. Yeah, not my Bobby Bowden voice. Um, So this is this is his quote. Uh, on uh, the Mike, Mike and Mike show on ESPN. He said, 65 to 70% of my boys did not have a daddy at home. They're raised by mama, them sweet old mamas. Thank God for them mamas or grandmamas. Many times it was grandmama or big sister or aunt. But where's the man? A boy needs a male figure and the girls do too. Somebody to discipline them and make them be a man. You know, I used to kid about this. They grew up wanting to be like their mama. They want to be a man like their mama because that's the way they were raised. That's why they wear earrings. I'm kidding about that. I had children too, you know. Oh my god. End quote. Oh my god. So, uh, we are going to assess whether that is a fail Am or I a pass. Am I allowed to just fail him right now, or do we have to? We have to. We have to talk about it. Well, I, I mean, it, it, you obviously have some very strong opinions no, about this, right? I don't have it. Yes, right, yes, right I have some very strong opinions about this. <laughs> go, um, go ahead. Am I, can I? Okay, let's just pull it apart a little bit. Um, I disagree. I mean, I'm sure a male figure is nice, but. Ugh. I just want to slap this man a little bit. I think the big sister part gets to me. I am a big sister. I have four brothers. I don't think they like had a negative influence for me. I do have three earrings, to be fair. Just to, just put that out You there. have three total earrings? I have three total ear piercings, and I oh, usually okay. have three earrings. I, I, was like, I was like, I'm not an expert, but I thought earrings came in, in pairs. So oh, I thought right. if, you, if you had three total earrings, that would be a bit strange. No, but I have lost probably every every paired earring that I have. This is not the important part of this quote. So I just, like, what is he implying here? It just seems to be that if boys don't have a positive male figure, like if they grow up in a single mother home, then somehow they're lacking something. And I think I disagree with that. Not saying it's bad to have a male figure, but I think this guy kind of sucks. Yeah, I mean, this is is a very interesting quote in the sense that this is 
he's actually not the first uh, sports coach in the last few weeks that has had a very similar comment about this. Really? Um, And I think the reason why my reaction is not so bad related to this is because the one that another coach made was like way worse because he wrote a he this guy uh this basketball coach named george carl sure. uh, he he wrote this book and he basically went after almost everybody he's ever encountered in his career in this book sounds like a swell guy yeah um really really swell and in and that included in different parts he went after specific players and was like this guy didn't know how to be a man because he didn't have a dad at home and like and he just like attacked these just, players for being you immature know, kind of fuck the pa- patriarchy am i allowed to say that okay, yeah yeah we'll yeah. go with that like fuck the patriarchy in this instance i don't know i think anytime you've got like an old white guy from the american south telling you that people don't know how to be men i'm going to take i'm going to take issue with that yeah. A little uh, bit. I mean, in both instances. Like, this one, like, he just... I mean, it's kind of sexist. It's also unfair to men, like, a, to say that if they were raised by their mothers, they don't know how to be real men. I just... What I, what I get from this quote is that if I asked him to define what he meant by being a man, I would take umbrage with that. I would completely disagree with what he thought it meant to be a good man. Yeah, and, and I think that's... Uh, that's it's a very I don't know it's it's one of these topics that I don't know I don't know why anyone says anything publicly about it anymore because there's nothing there's nothing you can say that comes off well you You can't can't win also that's not why people wear earrings people wear earrings because earrings are awesome yeah I'm I'm inclined uh, are you going to pass him? no 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 I'm 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 going to fail him but the the one thing I do want to point out is um, given that this is talking about football, and a lot of football players are 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 black. People, many people interpreted this rant as racist. Okay, but he never brings up anything about race in here. And I and from hearing kind of what some black members of the media have said, they're kind of split on it. But a lot of them have said that they don't see this as see this necessarily as racist. They definitely see it as sexist. Yeah, but they're not. There's nothing in here where he's clearly talking about, you know, these black players that no, I that No, no, he's not. He's not clearly talking about black players. However, given how sexist the quote comes off, I wouldn't be shocked if Bobby Bottom was also racist. Yeah, and yeah, being, but, but being, being an quote, old Southern gentleman, you don't want to stereotype. No, uh, you don't want to stereotype, uh, but also you kind of have low expectations for him as a progressive. Yeah, and I think maybe some people also uh, took exception to the use of the word boy mm. by an old Ooh, white gentleman okay, yeah. talking. But That goes into a lot. I don't, I don't know that he put that much thought into it, but right. I bet you that he's sexist, and I bet you that he's racist, and I fail him wholeheartedly. Okay, I am going to fail him as well. I don't necessarily think he is a terrible human being, but I think this... Uh, instance was Fair certainly enough. an instance of failure. I'm, I'm not own. going to give him a pass. As my singular introduction to him, I kind of do think he's a terrible human being, but just, okay. just a fail. All right, I've got one for you. Okay. So, mine is also semi-recent. Uh, <laughs> happened this year, happened 2017. An airline pilot, and this is a headline from the New York Times, airline pilot believed to be drunk is pulled from cockpit in Canada. 
which is not really what you'd think of when you think of Canada. So the gist of the story is a pilot made it all the way into the cockpit of a plane. Plane had 99 passengers and some crew and then passed out drunk. So this before, is before pre, the flight. Pre, Pre-takeoff. Pre okay. Passed out drunk and was pulled from the flight. Was he... Was he re- this is what I wonder. Was he yeah. replaced by another pilot? Do they have like substitute pilots standing by? What, or or was it just did the co-pilot fly the plane on his own? Were they down a pilot? Do we Okay, so after some delay, this is a quote from the Times, after some delay, the flight did take off with a new crew. So a totally new crew. Yeah. So the so the other flight attendants and the co-pilot. Well, they were probably all being pulled in for like questioning and having yeah, to explain they, how about, he was either drunk or high. He was enough under the influence that he passed out in the cockpit of the plane. Whew. Wow. So I guess like the, I mean, I the guess pilot it, is almost an absolute obvious fail, right? But just like every person that interacted with him up until he got into the cockpit, I, I kind of want to include them as part of the pass Ooh. or fail, right? Because obviously yeah. we don't want drunk captains of planes. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of lucky that he passed out before the plane took off. Right. That... Uh, that's but I think we're passing fortunate. failing the people who were unable to tell that he was blackout drunk pre-getting in the cockpit of the plane. Like, are they... Yeah. Should, should they have been able to tell? You don't breathalyze a captain. A pilot, a pilot, a captain, a pilot. I mean, they call it... I feel like they call themselves captains on Aren't the plane. are just a captain of a ship? This is your captain speaking. speaking. Yeah, yeah. yeah this they call is themselves captain. Cap- Absolutely. Yeah. Pilot, captain. We can yeah. use both terms. Sure. They, yeah. I mean, I don't... It's one of those things... Uh, it's unclear to me because you know you see pilots like going through security and like walking right, through right, walking right. through the terminal on their way to get and on the plane. They're kind of jaunty, like they kind of got a little bit of a bounce in their step. Yeah, <laughs> but the thing that's unclear is I don't know how close this pilot was to the rest of his crew. Was you know before he got on the plane, was he traveling through the airport with his? With his co-pilot or with any of the other crew. So or, like if they got if they watched him get trashed, then it's kind of on them too. Yeah. Alright. Or was their first interaction with him that day, like in the cockpit, and they got in and they're just like, you know, what's what's the guy's name? Um, it was I was just gonna make one up and I realized but, he yeah. he has a real name. His name is oh, well, I'm definitely not gonna fuck up this pronunciation. Miroslav Gronich. He's thirty seven. Okay. Okay, so in Calgary, Alberta. Okay, so like middle, just like the middle of Canada. Middle of Canada. I definitely knew that. <laughs> <laughs> so but they, I wonder they, yeah, the co-pilot was there. He's like, uh, Nuraslav, you, you all, you all right there? So like, what? I kind of want to give him a pass, and the reason why, hmm. not not the pilot. I don't want to pass the pilot, but I kind of want to pass the rest of the crew because. I feel like I've been around people who were blackout drunk and I didn't know it. Not not all people, like, but I think I have at least one or two acquaintances. I'm gonna be loath to call them friends, but acquaintances. I have one or two. Loath to call them friends. Yikes. <laughs> well, based on like what I'm explaining. But it's got a tough so, bar to become Ida's friend. It's yeah, a very high bar. Obviously. And I think I have at least one or two people in my life that I have ever come into contact with. <laughs> Okay. Who have gotten to the point of being like so high or so drunk 
But if they hadn't told me, then I wouldn't necessarily have known. Not because I'm not observant, but because they do it so often that they can, like, get by. So maybe Mr. Greenwich just has a problem and no one had ever caught him before until he blacked out. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I think... I think we're on the same page here that uh, Mr. Nearislav Granich himself definitely gets uh, a fail yes. on this for sure. Yes. Um, that is super unprofessional, super dangerous, but without knowing any more information about how much time they had spent with him that day before getting on the plane or if they had witnessed any of his behavior, I think it, I think it, you're right. I think it's plausible that. So, he could have pulled it off, and they might have been like, okay, he's acting a little strange, yeah. but as long as he wasn't stumbling around... And they did notice eventually. I mean, his they, quote, found his the pilot's behavior to be unusual and alerted the co-pilot, and that's the gate agents. So they, they oh, caught him... Oh, the people who like, scanning your boarding yeah, pass? Yeah, yeah, the boarding pass scanning fellas, ladies. So they, they just, like... Watch this guy go on. He's just like stumbling. He couldn't find it. Yeah, I guess the the reason I bring it up is there's an issue like the the controversy around it, the comments around it, or people kind of talking about like how could this possibly have happened, and they want to put blame on lots of people. And I think we just need to dump all the blame on the pilot in that instance. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think it kind of centers on him. So he fails. I give everyone else in this situation a pass. So we've got one fail and one fail and a half fail. Yeah, yeah, because we're we split this this pilot story into yeah. two. So uh, a fail and a half, two and a half fails, two fails and one and a half pass. Yeah, <laughs> I, I don't I don't really know if uh, if we're keeping score or whether that matters. It's, it's more yeah. more of a qualitative exercise, that, but that's true. Okay. okay, all right. Well, that was fun. That's yeah, uh, that's... that was fa- fail or pass. Okay, so we've come to the main segment of the show and. What, what we want to do every week is, uh, you know, because we're, we're, we're talking a lot about failure and things that have gone wrong, but what I, I, we want this show to be inspirational and uplifting. So for the... That's why we say the word failure so many times. Yeah. Because that's the most uplifting thing we can think of. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's why, that's why everything in the show has the word failure in it. Yeah, um, absolutely. But like I want, that's the the ultimate goal is to show that failure is a foundation for success, and it's sometimes just a bump in the road to ultimately overcoming obstacles yes. and succeeding. So so every week we want to have kind of one story that's uh, that that we focus on that that kind of shows a bigger a bigger degree of overcoming obstacles or overcoming failure of various kinds. And ideally by we by the time we get to the end of that story, you feel at least marginally uplifted. Yeah. And uh, so the person telling that story, it it could be a story about um, Ida or I. It could be a story, uh, you know, about a, a guest, a friend of ours, someone that we have on the show, or it could be about a public figure or a historical figure looking back on uh, someone who, you know, had these major obstacles in their in their life, but achieved success, and that those obstacles served as a, a foundation or a jumping off point yeah. for that bigger success. So exploring a variety of failures and kind of how those failures have turned out and shaped and bettered. Um, and different people. So, yeah. so Ben, have you failed at anything this week? Yeah. So what we're going to do before we get into our big, huge, you know, 
story of, of overcoming obstacles that's supposed to be inspirational and supposed to uplift everybody who's listening. To, to get in the mood for that, we're, we're going to warm up Ida and I by just telling... Telling a, you guys a thing that we've maybe failed at this week. Yeah. They could, like, as I said, it could be a, a very small thing, but just kind of getting you in the mood of embracing failure and just being fine with yes. things going wrong in your life. Things going wrong. I, I can start. I've got one. Yeah, go ahead. So... Um, Earlier this morning, I wanted to call the boy that I liked. Mm. Um, that that part's not failing. That part's fine. But he he isn't in the country right now. And so I did that thing that you do where you like someone who isn't in the country and you go through every method of possibly trying to get in touch <laughs> and they all mess up. So we were like, oh, well, we'll do a WeChat call. So we tried WeChat video, and it kept being like, network error, network error. So we're like, mm. it's fine. We'll just do Skype. Is that like symbolism? Network I don't know. error. Well, we're like mm. trying to imagine it's not symbolism. But by the end, like kind of felt like maybe it was, right? So then we tried Skype, and Skype is like, poor connection, and it keeps cutting out. So I was like, fine. Like So then we tried a voice call on Skype, and it also didn't work. So then we tried a voice call on WeChat, and that didn't work. So then my phone has international calling open, so we tried that. But that didn't work because he could hear me, but I couldn't hear him. So at this uh, point, I was like, it's not meant to be like both this conversation whew. and anything ever. Oh, and boy. Then he realized that his phone was on mute. <laughs> <laughs> we figured it out. But it was a solid 18 minutes of me being like, I think I'm going to kill myself. And You're uh, like, I don't know if I should try to be with this person. Right. Because I felt like if that many methods of communication had failed, maybe we just weren't meant to communicate. So that's my, that's my that's a, failure of the week. Yeah. And I like how that's a small, insignificant <laughs> failure that's not meaningful at all. Um, it worked out fine. It worked yeah. out fine. Eventually, eventually, he took his phone off mute and we were able to talk. Okay. Yeah. That's good. Um, my Yeah. What, what's yours? My failure of the week. <laughs> Ida can see. You guys can't see because you're listening. But Ida can see that... Um, He's missing some skin on his knuckles. Yeah. Kind of the, the bottom knuckles on my left middle finger and ring finger there's some skin missing there yes and uh i will tell the story now of exactly how that happened yeah how exactly did that um, happen so we mentioned at the at the top that both of us do comedy here in shanghai we do stand-up comedy and we uh, do. i had a a show last weekend and uh the show ended and i was in 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 the bar area of the club and uh, and in that area there's a there's a place where there's like a giant painting. It's I think it's a it's a painting. It looks like a painting. It's just a, a giant kind of wall size painting of uh, the the comedian Lenny Bruce. Is and that who that is? I, I believe that's who that is. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So see, I've been there a million times. I, I am. I'm familiar with the the painting slash printout. I just didn't know it was Lenny Bruce. Okay. Yeah. And for. Uh, that was good for all of you who have ever been <laughs> to uh, to the Kung Fu Comedy Club. You uh, in in Shanghai, you will you will know yeah. that that's there, or maybe so you Lenny don't know. Bruce took a swing at you. <laughs> I mean, he took a he probably took a swing at a lot of people <laughs> during his life, but even after in in death, he managed to hurt me. So what happened here? Yeah. I was sitting in a chair right up against the wall okay. where that that painting is on. Uh, so basically, I was sitting there. The painting was to my left, and another comedian was leaving, and they came to say goodbye. And we were just about to hug or like pat yeah, each other on the back. Say make out. I was excited. Oh. All right, you were gonna hug. Fine. That would be 
Interesting story. If I if I hurt my fingers making out, that would have been you maybe never even hurt more. Your fingers making out. Um, it may have <laughs> happened. I I would have to go through my catalog of of of, of those type of injuries. <laughs> so okay. Moving anyways, on, moving on. I so I just went with my left, kind of with my left hand to just kind of give a half hug mm-hmm. or a pat on the back. Sure. And so since my left arm is right near the wall where that painting is, and the painting has a big uh, metal picture frame. Oh, it does. Around it definitely it. has that. Yeah. And so I went to go for the, the, the hug or the pat on the back, and I went very quickly, and <gasps> the back of these two fingers just jammed right into the edge of the picture frame. Ew. Did you bleed on it? Oh, yeah. yeah. I, I started bleeding immediately. Well, yeah. Uh, I ran upstairs to, to, to the bar that, uh, you know, that we rent the space from uh, to go into the bathroom just to try to wash it off. Right. Um, and I was like, oh, if I just run this under some water, it'll oh. stop bleeding. No, just kept bleeding. Did you get stitches or something? No, I didn't get any stitches, but eventually the, like, Chinese custodian or worker there eventually brought me a couple band-aids to put on. Wow. But the problem was it was bleeding so much that it was hard to have enough time to put on a band-aid. Oh, gross. But I eventually got them on and this is only a, This a, is your a, small failure? This is only a few days after, but this it, it looks a lot better now. Yeah. And it doesn't require kind of gross. Doesn't you require can't a, see it, but it still looks kind of gross. Yeah, but it doesn't require a band-aid anymore, That's which true. is which is Impressive. good. Neither does mine. Yeah. <laughs> A band-aid on your soul. On oh, my soul. On my yeah. poor little soul. Yeah. So I don't know if uh, I don't know if we originally intended those failures to be. Those seem pretty. Those are medium-sized failures. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe in in the future, I'm not sure if all of our warm-up failures will be that intense. But I don't know. I fail pretty hardcore every week, so we'll see. It'll be a, a tough a bar that we're that we'll have to have to reach every week. Exactly. Yeah. But um. Okay. So we'll use that as a jumping-off point. Yeah. Um, so Ben's failed in small and bloody ways, but uh, today we're actually going to delve into a slightly bigger life-transforming sort of failure that you had, yeah? Yeah. Um, I, I, I mentioned kind of earlier in introducing myself that I moved, uh, I moved to China a couple years after, after college, and I'm going to kind of now fill in the dots a little bit in terms of exactly how that how that came to pass, how that happened. Yeah, because I saw a lot of dots in that story. Just that, spaces that needed dots. You're like, oh, you mean <laughs> dots that needed to be connected? Dots. Spaces, that- there were like spaces you're like, we need to put dots in <laughs> that story. that needed dots that then needed connecting. It was a very gap-heavy story. All right. So. Okay. All right, well, tell us about it. So uh, I graduated from college about... Almost five years ago at this, so at, what, at this point, 20, 2012. 2012. And then I worked for a year in New York City for a consulting firm. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, as I said, I'd studied abroad in Beijing in 2010 during my junior year. And from that experience, I knew that I wanted to try to work in Asia at some point. I will- and what did you study? Like, what were you doing? In China? In, uh, in Beijing? Like or? in undergrad. Uh, in undergrad, my degree was in philosophy, politics, and economics. Okay. Which is a major that's not that common in the U.S., but it's I think it's more common in the U.K., and some universities in the U.S. have adopted it. Okay. And in the in the U.K., they call it they they call it PPE, 
sure, because that doesn't sound weird or creepy at all. Yeah, so so that's what it's called. Um, it's actually normally a big theater major for uh, people who go to law school. Okay, yeah, so, that yeah, that works. A very high percentage of my classmates went to law school. I was not in that group. I decided to. Uh, right after college, as I said, work at a consulting firm in New York City for a year, which was good in terms of uh, you know having a real job, making good money, uh, living in living in the big city. Yeah, damn. Um, but at the same time, it had nothing to do with Asia or China, and I was kind of feeling that pull that a lot of people do who eventually move to China that you want to do something more adventurous, you yeah. want to live outside the country, um, you you. You know, you, you just have this kind of pull to... The expat Asia pull. Yeah. I know it well. Yeah, just to move and do something in Asia, do something in China. So after a year of working at that company, I, uh, I saw this opportunity to uh, apply to be like a special assistant and analyst at a real estate investment firm that was based out of Hong Kong and Tokyo. So I would be like a special assistant to the CEO of this large real estate investment firm. Not large, but it's like, uh, probably had like 60 to 100 people. That's pretty big, yeah. yeah. Um, so like a medium-sized firm. Okay. And I ended up getting the position. Really? Yeah. That doesn't sound like a failure uh, yet. Well, it's it's not, not, <laughs> not yet. We'll, 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 we'll get there. Okay. We'll get there. And so I moved... Uh, out to Asia to take that job. Hong in... Kong or Tokyo? So this is the confusing part. Sure. I was technically based out of Hong Kong. I had a, I actually had a, a Hong Kong residence card. Nice. Yeah. I still have it in my wallet. It's expired, but I still have it. Do you use it to pick up girls or? Um, I'm just not really sure what you do with a Hong Kong residence card. It's a good, it's a good question. The one good thing that it was really good for, which I maybe only got to use it once or twice, but if so, in the Hong Kong airport. If you are a Hong Kong resident, if you have a card, you can you can go through basically you can go through the short line at immigration when you get Ooh. into Hong Kong, and instead of using your passport, you just put your card in the little thing, uh. and and then it like scans your fingerprint, and then you yeah. just go through. So you don't have to wait in the long lines with. So even as a guy who was a foreigner, I could go through the short line. Yeah, I'm nodding. You guys can't see that. I bet you could pick up some girls with that ability. That's like a pretty good one. Yeah. It's not really what he was using it for, but. Right. But, right. It, but it was, uh, anyways, it was it was cool. Okay. Uh, I had a Hong Kong ID card, uh, like, a, like a resident card. And, but, and I was, so I was technically based out of Hong Kong. I got, like, my, I guess for work, like my bank account was in Hong Kong or whatever. Mm -hmm. But I ended up spending way more time in Tokyo because that was just where my boss was and that's where he was spending most of his time okay. during that period. So I was mostly in Tokyo going back and forth to Hong Kong as well. But he traveled uh, a lot, this, this, this boss. And so we – and I traveled with him wherever he went. So I saw a crazy amount of places in, in the first like two or two and a half months um, – that I was that I was working. Okay. So uh, just to give you an idea, in the first two or two and a half months where I was on this at, at this company, I went to Tokyo, Hong Kong, Taiwan, uh, New York, L.A. and Orange County, California. Went to London, Frankfurt, Israel, and Hawaii. So this is a story of how a lot of successes led to a failure because I'm not, I'm not. Hold on, it's, it's, it's coming, it's coming, it's so coming. So far, it kind of sounds like a sweet gig. It, it it does it does sound like a sweet gig. 
Yeah, so I got to go to a lot of places for this job, which was which was really cool. I got to travel around, learn from this uh, from this CEO, but it was like a pretty stressful job because yeah. he was, uh, you know, I, I didn't really have a home base. Like I didn't have an apartment when I was anywhere. Anywhere. When so I, where did, were you in hotels the entire time? Yeah, and so basically, I was technically based out of Hong Kong, in the first few times I was in Hong Kong, because as I said, I was spending most of my time in Tokyo, but because I was technically based out of Hong Kong in Tokyo, I didn't have to pay for accommodation because that was not my home base, even though I was there for most of the time. Okay. And because I was not in Hong Kong very often, I was like, it doesn't really make sense for me to get an apartment. I'm never here. So the the first couple times they allowed me to stay in a hotel there just to give me time to ostensibly to find an apartment. Right. But I never did, so eventually I was just staying at, at Airbnbs, I guess, every time I went there. Okay. And paying my own way for those Airbnbs. For, for your Airbnbs. Yeah. So I got to travel a lot. It was it was great, but it, you know, it was stressful. He was This boss was kind of the stereotypical eccentric CEO, kind of the guy who could like fly off the handle and like was brilliant, but like couldn't do basic things and organize his own life. I think we have such different pictures of what a stereotypical CEO is, but yeah. <laughs> okay, sure. Uh, I've got a mental picture. Whoa, that was my phone, guys. Um, I've got a mental picture of what that might look like, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if that's a stereotypical CEO, but I guess I was thinking like the stereotypical like eccentric CEO who just like, like the right, mad, like right, the mad right. genius. Mad genius. Yeah, okay. I guess maybe that's a better word for it. Okay, but yeah, yeah, he was super brilliant, uh, you know, and since he was the CEO of a real estate investment firm, he was one of those guys who had correctly predicted kind of boom and bust cycles in the economy for the last like 30 years, was super good at that. Um, just again, super brilliant guy, but kind of a little bit difficult to work with, not just for me, but other people as well. Mm-hmm. And so I I wouldn't say I was struggling, but it was, it was hard in the first few months there to kind of figure out what he wanted all the time because he wasn't good at vocalizing it and what he wanted was not very predictable. Sure. Um, so it would often lead to to frustration. Um, so despite the fact that I had all these good experiences, it was, it was definitely challenging. Mm-hmm. But I thought, like, this is just normal uh, course of being at a new company and working for a new boss. Right. Like, every boss is different. You have bumps in the road at the beginning that you need to get beyond so that you understand what your boss wants yeah, and what they expect from you when they ask you to do a certain thing. Um, so what did you sleep with his sister or <laughs> I don't know. I'm you're, just like, you're trying to figure out where this goes yeah, wrong. Yeah. So far it sounds very like normal. I mean, okay. you didn't have a home and that part's kind of weird, but like the rest of it is kind of, kind of understandable so far. Yeah. Um, okay. So, well, fast forward, this was about four or five months into the job. Okay. We were in Hong Kong, um, and it was, I think it was maybe a Monday Day night. of the week feels very important. Yeah. So, Monday night in Hong it was, Kong. It was Monday night. I was, you know, about getting ready to leave work for the night uh, at the office, and he just kind of asked me. He stayed, um, when he was in Hong Kong, he stayed at the Four Seasons Residences. Sure. Yeah. Swanky. As, yeah, as a... You know, as, as a CEO does. Yeah, he had a very nice residence there. So he was like, um, you know, I need you to bring me some files or some papers. Just meet me in the lobby of the Four Seasons residences. Okay. So 
Uh, as I was getting ready to leave, I took these papers, I walked over uh, to the lobby, met him there. We sat on uh, a couch that was there. There is so much buildup right now. I am about to go insane. Okay. What? Okay, what happened? Okay. He was so, doing cocaine. He shot you. He. <laughs> I'm just trying to think of how this can go wrong. It's just papers. Okay. So I, I'm there. <laughs> I deliver the papers. I'm talking to him and he just kind of sits down and he looks at me and he goes, I think I need to make a change. And he just like, this isn't working. And he just literally, he fired me right on the spot. After an errand? Yeah. He made you run an errand before he fired you? I guess. Yeah, I guess technically that's what happened. Sorry, I don't want to point that out to you if you hadn't realized it. But that's a horrible thing. Well, yeah, it was. It did feel did feel pretty horrible. And I'm like in the middle of the... Um, you know, they're actually since this was the lobby of the Four Seasons residences and not the hotel, there actually weren't really any other people in there. But I was like struggling to hold it together, and I wasn't really holding it together because this was shocking. Yeah. Um, did you have any idea? Like, did you go in blind? Yeah, I went in blind. I had no idea this was happening. And as I said, he was kind of. I had noticed he had been giving me less to do the last yeah. month or two, but we had also just like had the holidays. He had been on vacation, like there had just been less to do in general, but also this job didn't really have a firm routine. So it was not really possible to recognize the absence of a routine or if things were strange. Yeah. Because it was a job that was dynamic and was always changing and didn't have a routine. Yeah. So uh, looking back, like knowing what happened, you can look and say, okay, maybe I should have known there or there, but in the time, yeah, when it was happening. Yeah, hindsight's twenty twenty. Yeah. But so what did you do? You're just like... Did you cry in front of your boss? You don't have to tell her. Yeah, I started like <gasps> kind of crying, but like trying to keep it together. Like, yeah. but you know, where you're like, you can you can look at someone, you can tell that they're like starting to cry, like they're trying to hold it in, but it's just all like ready yes, to come out. Yes, I know that and, feeling so well. Yeah, and you're just talking to him, and you know, you're trying to hold back like sadness, anger, like sarcasm, like I, I got horror, I, like, yeah, and you know. And I'll also just like trying to think, well, where does my life go from here? Uh, because I, since I didn't have a home, like I didn't really, so at that point I was, I didn't mention this before, but I had a girlfriend in New York that I was with for the year that I lived in New York. And we stayed together even when I moved across the world to Asia. We were doing like across the world long distance. Yeah. Always a really fun fun yeah. time as mentioned earlier. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So that... So, but besides like her and, you know, my family I talked to back home, I didn't really have anybody because I didn't have a home. I didn't have any local friends yeah. anywhere because I'd, I'd been traveling was so traveling, much. doing this job. Like the job was the only thing keeping my life together Wow. Um, at that point. And so I, I went back to my Airbnb in Hong Kong and like Wan Chai where all the like the bars are on like Lockhart Road, which is like one of the most notorious bar streets where you have like these Cantonese women who are like grabbing your arm and like trying to like throw you into like strip clubs and so did you get thrown into a strip club that night i mean and massage you, parlors i um how do you know just that? I, well i don't know you're just like on the street and these ladies like they literally like grab the inside of your arm and like forcibly and yeah. you just have to go like this and you're, you're not even you're walking in the part of the sidewalk that's almost in the street yeah like like you gotta like you gotta walk really far away from them to like make them work to get <laughs> to get out there make them yeah but anyway so i was staying out there in an airbnb this was in the middle of february so 
for those people who've never been to Hong Kong, like Hong Kong is really hot, but February is the coldest time of the year there. And since Hong Kong is so hot, they don't have, like none of the buildings have heat because they really yeah, never need it. Yeah. But February, they're like two or three weeks in February where it gets cold enough where you wish there was heat and everyone's like freezing inside. So you went back to a cold Airbnb alone yeah. after getting fired <laughs> without knowing mm-hmm. that it was coming. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So I went back and then, so I needed to still do like my exit stuff like with HR, but the HR people that I need to work with were in Tokyo. So I had to fly back to Tokyo, stay, they still put me up in a hotel there for like a week or so, but I had to kind of finish up there, do exit stuff and get a flight booked back to America to like to do this, like to figure out because I... I was thinking like, where am I, where am I going? What am I going to do? And my thought was, well, my family and my girlfriend are back in the U.S. I should probably go there if I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing. Okay. Wow. Um, I don't know if that's the direction I saw that story going in. Yeah. Wow. Well, it's 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 not it's, the story's not over yet. That's fair. That's good. Yes, because uh, in case you started listening in the middle of this podcast, um, ideally, as our people st- are want to do, as people are want to do, ideally, these stories end in some kind of uplifting learning moment. Yeah. So you got you headed back to America. When when do we hit learning? Um, <laughs> I feel like there's there's still some still some rough patches we need to go through before we're before we're gonna get there. Oh my god! Yeah. I don't know if I can top your worst story. I'll I'll have to think really hard for next week. So so I go back to America and I'm trying to go there and figure out what my next move is. Like so I, I'm there and like kind of get a temporary place for a few months and I'm trying to see if I because I don't know if I'm gonna be living in New York long term or if it's just for a right, few months. Right. So I go there and start looking for jobs, I guess primarily in real estate, because that's the most recent industry I was working in, even though it was just for a few months. Yeah. I was like, this is kind of interesting. Like, I want to... I'm like scared for the story now. Is it your family or your girlfriend who breaks up with you at this point? Like, for it oh. to get worse? Oh, uh, well, we'll keep going. Um, I, I'm behaving. I'm listening without any, any requests. So I mean, I, I mean, the good thing is I got to go back and be in the same city as my girlfriend. But because it was not exactly an easy time for us, because we were both um, we were both very stressed out. I was stressed out because I was unemployed and didn't know what I was going to do with my life Fair. now. Fair. And she was stressed out because she worked in finance and was studying for the CFA, which is a really hard exam. And so she was spending tons of time doing that. Uh, as I said, was super stressed. I was super stressed. That didn't really do wonders for our relationship. No, I wouldn't have wanted to double date with you guys at that point. No, yeah. No, not um, so much. So it was a tough time. I was looking for jobs, but I wasn't having much luck finding them in, in the U.S. I had like one final interview at kind of a real estate private equity firm, but I didn't get the job. Sure. And But I was applying for jobs in China as well, but from... Uh, the U.S. and I was just doing a tons of LinkedIn networking, just messaging random strangers on LinkedIn that were. So that in and of itself kind of sounds like a failure. 
<laughs> just sending just, random just, messages to people on LinkedIn. Just that moment, you know, like where you think of someone and they're like at that point in their life where they're having to message strangers on LinkedIn. Like that to me kind of screams like something has gone wrong. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's what I was doing. I was just connecting yeah. with random people. Like I was doing searches for, you know, real estate, New York, real estate, China, and yeah. like trying to find people who fit things. And I would just messaging as many people as I could. And if they responded, I tried to schedule calls with them and then I would have chats with them and see if they had any jobs available or if they knew anyone that had jobs available. So it was just like this long process because I was like, I don't, I, I applied for some regular job listings. Yeah. But just applying for regular job listings online usually doesn't work. No, not so well. Yeah. So I was like, I just got to network with random people on LinkedIn and see how that goes. And so I did that for, while I was applying for jobs in the US, I simultaneously did that for several months um, while, uh, you know, I, I was trying to figure out what I was doing. So uh, eventually, after a bunch of time looking on LinkedIn and messaging random people, I, right. I had a Skype call with someone who was working for a real estate developer in China, and he was like, oh, I'll pass your information along to, like, you know, our vice president, uh, you know, and our HR, like there might be something for you. And I think he was basically leaving and I was going to kind of replace him. Okay. So it was like a development manager at this uh, real estate developer who developed shopping malls in China. So basically on Skype, I, I had three different Skype interviews with the vice president of the firm, HR, and the president. Does this story end in a job? Yes, they gave me. They gave me. Oh, okay. They gave, Thank they, God, I'm starting to get me, really they, bad. They gave me. They gave me a job. Okay. Um. So this was this was what brought me out to Shanghai. This is this is okay. How, this is the job that is the reason that, that I live you're here right now. Yeah. This is the this is the reason why I live in 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 Shanghai right now. All right. Was this this job? So this was the summer. This was July of 2014. Uh, All right. I moved out to um to shanghai we came at the same time well i moved to china then but you did we, it was july of 2014 did we did we discuss this previously at some point i don't know in if our we lives? Ever, i don't know if we've realized this well i had just graduated from university okay. in 2014 and that's when i moved to yunnan i moved to shanghai in 2015 oh. june of 2015 so almost oh. a full year later okay Anyway, not relevant to your story. Okay, so I started working for this company. Like it was a good job. Like the the pay the pay was pretty good. Like I was I was satisfied with it. I just moved here, so I moved here in late. It was late July of so basically the end, the very end of July, um, in in twenty fourteen, and I worked there. And like after like several months, it was maybe it was maybe the beginning of November. Um, the, the boss, like the president called me into his office and HR was there and they basically were just like, we're going to have to let you go. No, stop it. Did you know it was coming? <laughs> no, I didn't. But it was weird. He, they kind of let me go, but they kind of didn't. Well, it's China. So th this, this company was like a a Chinese and American um, like joint venture. Okay. So our parent company was a Chinese company, but my boss and, and like the the president, the vice president, they were both Americans that okay. had lots of real estate experience. Um, 
had worked for Simon Property Group for many years. But so my boss was like, well, we're kind of taking away like your full-time position. He's like, but we can put you, we can keep you on payroll, but as like a part-time, like with a different salary, like we just were getting pressure from the parent companies there. Like we were having issues with them yeah, because they were, it was, you know, our, yeah, our Chinese parent company was just not happy with how things were going. And I think they saw us as a, an easy way to cut costs and, right, right. and we didn't totally have control. We didn't really have any control over if, if they wanted to do that. So my boss, so I was still going into work, but I was making less money. Um, but I was still kind of there, but my boss was like, you know, maybe you should spend time. Like you could, uh, you know, take more Chinese classes, like with the, like the more time you have now. Yeah. Um, so that was good. Like, so I started doing that at about the beginning of December and it was my first or second day doing these Chinese classes in the afternoon. So I would come into the office in the morning then I would go and take, uh, Chinese classes with a tutor in the afternoon. And I think it was the day of my second class, I looked on like our company, uh, you know, WeChat message group, you know, just what was going on. And from looking at that chat, it appeared that someone from the parent company's HR basically came into the office and was basically like, you all have 30 days. So your entire office got fired. Yeah, like they just got, yeah, the, the whole office got fired. So then you didn't have a job anymore. Yeah, I didn't have a job anymore. But with this new contract, they put me on some temporary contract where even though this happened in December, I was still getting paid through maybe the end of February at like a lower salary. Okay. So I had some money coming in Yeah. through the end of February. But now I'm like, okay, I'm taking, I signed up to take like 12 weeks of like intensive Chinese classes. So at least I have something to do. Yeah. But now I, I, I'm in China, but it's like been four months and now I have to find another job again. Asia really didn't treat you well. Yeah, it's it's amazing I stayed. Yeah, I, I'm kind of surprised based on these stories that you're still here. Yeah, I it, I really could have taken the hint like, wow, maybe maybe it's just not meant to I mean, be I, for I, me I'm to be glad, here. I'm glad you didn't take the hint, but I'm a little surprised. <laughs> I don't know if I could have kept plugging away at that point. Yeah, um, it was a bit, certainly a bit challenging, but the strange thing is that because this happened a second time, it was almost easier, if that makes Um, any sense. Yeah, no, that makes sense. The second time I broke my foot was a lot less bad than the first time. Um, I was like, oh, I know what's happened. I broke my foot. It's fine. (laughs) Like, I feel like it's similar. Yeah. Well, and also I knew that then that I wanted to stay in China and I'm like, well, if I'm looking for jobs in China, I'm already in China. I like before when I was trying to find jobs in China, I was in New York. That was way harder. I'm like, I'm already in the city I want to be in. If there's an interview, I can just go. People do say that that's the way to find a job in China is to already be in China. Yeah. Well, tough to make that work sometimes, but yeah, it is. It is tough, but, but that's why I was thinking to myself. I'm like the last time I had to do this, I was across the world trying to find a job here. Like this is much easier. Okay. So how many more jobs have you gone through between that job and the one you have now? Okay, it gets the uh, things. Not, things improve. Things, things improve. Thing, thing, okay. Things improve. Things um, are pretty low right now. Yeah. Like, are you still dating the girl at this point? No. So we when I moved back to when China. I, yeah, when I moved back to China from New York after I got the job at this real estate developer, when I moved to China, we broke up. I okay. we decided, but I kind of pushed us to break up because I thought to myself. 
I was like, I don't... Surely this job will last for them more than four months. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was my thought. I was like, oh, yeah, this job... I was like, yeah, surely this job will last for... It can't possibly be, like, the last one, so... Yeah. Okay. I was just like, I'm, I'm, I was like, I'm going to be in China a little while. Like, this isn't going to be a six-month or one-year thing. I And talking okay. to her, it didn't seem super likely that she was ever going to be able... Or, like, to move there, get a job there. Like, that just didn't seem very plausible. Yeah. She kind of talked about it, but... It just, it seemed like it would be very, very difficult to try to stay together. Yeah. So we broke up after being together for two years. Aw. Um, yeah. Sad. Yeah, it was, it definitely, definitely was, definitely was sad and kind of. For those of you who can't see, there's like a, a, a sad tear. <laughs> no, there's not. I'm just kidding. Um, but no, it certainly, once I'm there and I'm losing my job again, that's like kind of that point where you're, you're like, wow, now I kind of like feel pretty alone now. Yeah. Um, wow. There's been a lot to go through. But so I, I kept taking the, um, the Chinese classes. The Chinese classes. Okay. Uh, that ended up in me kind of taking the um, the, the HSK. I, I took the HSK 5 at the end of having those exams. Yeah, yeah, I passed it. So Congratulations. That, that, you know, so at least having some go, proof of my Chinese skills. If you're skills. listening and you're considering hiring Ben Frank... Um, ignore the fact that he's been fired twice and focus on the fact <laughs> he passed the HSK five. Yeah. So that's a, that's a marketable skill right there, kids. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so yeah, yeah, the, yeah, the, yeah, the, the HSK, the, the Chinese level exam that they, that they have here in, in China. So, yeah. so anyways, I was looking for more jobs and I kind of did the same thing. I did like LinkedIn networking. Oh my God. The story ends up in such dark places. <laughs> I love I love how LinkedIn networking is like your definition of the darkest when place I you can think, think of. Think of like the most bleak, like <laughs> sad, alone thing that a person can do. It's cold call people on LinkedIn. Like I can't think of, <laughs> I cannot think of anything that makes me sadder. You know, like some people you like walk down the street, you see someone homeless. Like that to me is sad. Cold calling people on LinkedIn is like as dark as it gets. <laughs> That's just as bad. So you'd as be good. less sad if I told you after losing my job I had been homeless. <laughs> um, well, I guess I guess the epitome of that is if you were homeless in a Starbucks, cold calling people at LinkedIn. That Ooh, would be, wow. That's like you know when you think bleak though, uh, when you think middle class bleak, I guess you think about LinkedIn cold calling. Yeah, that would be a good LinkedIn profile. Profile like two years at homeless. <laughs> <laughs> That's... It would be a, a, an honest profile, you know. Just... Yeah. All right. So the story at some point in your you're like now, when is this when is this gonna get I don't know. Better? I mean, now you're like alone for the second time in Asia, except you're more alone than you were the first time you got fired. And I felt bad for you the first time you got fired. So all right. So you, you right. had an epiphany. I hope this story doesn't end in you finding Jesus, because, <laughs> because if that's why it gets better, I will just have to have an entirely different conversation with me. Yeah. Um, All right, so this is it. Looks up. Tell me about things looking up. Okay. So, yeah, I, I took more Chinese classes. I was, you know, contacting people on LinkedIn for job opportunities in real estate, and I finally um, found a job opportunity uh, at Jones Lang's LaSalle, which is a real estate uh, services company, one of the biggest in the world. I was going to be in their research department going to be a again a good paying job like a big company which like I had never worked for a big company before and I'm like well after all like these things happen maybe I should like go for a more stable yeah organization yeah, that, okay um, good you're learning positive lessons already right um so 
I signed to work there. I was about, I, I think it was maybe, it was May at this point. So it was about, um, yeah, it was like April or May. So it was about five or six months after I had officially, like, they had come into the into the office and it was like, we're like all of you have 30 days. So yeah. it's been like five or six months since then. And this guy I who I had met one time in New York, two or three years before. Was he cute? Sorry, that is important to me understanding the story. Um, he's a decent looking guy. Decent looking yeah, guy. He's pretty, right. he's pretty, he's pretty, he's pretty, All right, decent. If he, if he ever listens to this podcast, I hope that <laughs> I hope I hope that he doesn't take offense that I called him decent looking and that I paused for a second. I'm sure you know a pause and decent looking gives me a really good idea of how how attractive he is. Like, well, a, he's also a, he's a pause decent looking guy. Well, he's a very he's a very smart guy too. All right, very smart yeah. and decent looking. All right. Um, so he basically had. Um, he lived in Beijing and he had started his own company where he was a headhunter that specializes in placing people, um, who are bilingual foreigners in jobs in China. Like that was his specialty as a headhunter. And you were at that point a bilingual foreigner in China, given your HSK five. Right. But I, when I was living in New York, like two to three years before Mm -hmm. he had been there uh, doing something, traveling, and we had met up for lunch. Okay. I, I had heard about him and his platform, and I was like, oh, if I ever want to work in China, this might be a good person to what know. What was his name? I feel like I... His name, uh, I will I will say his name, it's uh, it's Abe Sorok. Oh, never mind. Yeah. Not a guy I know. Okay. Yeah. Well, all right. Anyways, yeah, the name of his name of his company is uh, Atlas China. Oh, I know that. I do know that. Okay. Yeah, okay. I know Atlas. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he's he's a very smart guy. They do a lot of good work. Um, so, anyways, Abe, the the the, the guy who, who heads Atlas, he told me, uh, he just kind of called me up. Or he emailed me, and then we had a phone call. Right. And he was basically like, "Oh, I want to bend your ear about something." Uh, you know. And again, we'd only met in person once, two or three years before. We'd kept in sporadic contact on email. Okay. But so we talk on the phone. And he's like, yeah, I want to bend your ear about something. There's this job opportunity, and you're the first person I thought of. Ooh. Yeah. That and is the first positive thing about a job that I think has come out. <laughs> in, yeah. this, in, this entire, in this entire story. Yes. Okay. Yeah, yeah. You're, or at least in a while. And in a while. I feel like faintly early on, I was optimistic about it. Yeah, you were like, wow, your life sounds great. I How, do remember th- you're like, saying that it you're like, this is, you're, like, you're like, this just sounds like you bragging about some amazing jobs that it you no, have. It no longer sounds like that. Yeah, okay, yeah. So your perspective has changed. Okay, so thought of you. Yeah, he, he thought of me. And he, uh, he basically told me about this opportunity uh, to work with NBA, work at the NBA. Oh my God, we ended up on the job that you have now. Yeah. The problem was at this point, well, the amazing thing was he didn't even know if I was looking for a job at that time. Right. Like I hadn't told him anything. Sure. But the problem was when he... didn't he... scream unemployed just by your existence. Absolutely right. not. Cool. So he... It tells me about this job opportunity, and I'm like, wow, I've been a huge sports fan all my life working for the NBA, and I've wanted to work in China. Working for the NBA in China would be awesome. Right, yeah. That would be really, really cool. But I told him, I was like, I already signed a contract to work for Jones Lang LaSalle. Oh, right, you had. <laughs> yeah. It's the I real got estate company. lost in this story. Yeah, I know. It's, it's, it's tough. There are a lot of moving parts. Now you have two jobs. 
Right. Going from zero to two very quickly. So I'm like, I already signed to work at JLL, to work at Jones Lang LaSalle, and my start date is in five days. So if you can't like get a jo- get the job in five days, were you just not gonna do it or? Well, well, that's why I asked him. I was like, "How long is it gonna take to go through the inter- the interview process? Like, how long is it gonna take to know whether I have this job?" Yeah, how legitimate is the MBA? That's a good question. <laughs> well, but but Abe told me he's like, "I think I can get you through the interview process in two weeks." Okay. So I was like, "That's pretty short." So then, basically, my job was I had to go to JLL. And create an excuse why we had to delay my start date by two weeks. Ah. Which I did. What was your excuse? I think I said that like I had to go back to the U.S. for something. I, I just created some, you know. I want it to be a better excuse. I want it to be like somebody died or your cousin got married in Vegas and needed you to bail them out of jail. Or... I, 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 from what I remember, I was not overly specific on my story. Okay. I kept it vague. A vague excuse for... Got you a two-week extension. Yeah, uh, okay. on my start date. So then I went through the interview process with NBA. I interviewed with kind of the guy who would eventually be my direct supervisor with HR, and then the senior vice president of the company. And yeah. then they wanted me to off. They wanted to offer me a job. We negotiated, and and then once I knew I had an offer, basically by that point it was the weekend right before my new start date at JLL. And then I so I decided I was going to be working for NBA, and then. The day that I was supposed to start at JLL, I like you called. I called them and I was like, "I'm not coming in." You know, I'll tell you this story another time. But I have also quit a job the day I was supposed to start that job. Really? Yeah. So we have that in common. Okay, I did not know it. We yeah. will. We will have to. We will have to get there. We'll at some delve point. into that at some point. Absolutely. But anyway, so I've now been working at the NBA for a a year and a half. Okay. Um. I like it. It's, it, I, you know, it's a sport. Yeah, be a sport. careful. They might be listening. Yeah. No, it's a sports league I've, I've loved since I was a little kid. So it's it's really cool to be able to work there and work in China. Awesome. And do interesting stuff. And then a, several months, uh, a couple months after I started working at the NBA, it was when I started doing stand-up comedy. So now I have both of those things in my life that... Ben's life is no longer a dark void, <laughs> is what he's trying to say. Yeah, I got these two big elements That's that awesome. I really enjoy, but it kind of took a very circuitous uh, and yeah. sometimes, you know, difficult path to get there. So do you find that sometimes you still feel like a latent desire to get on LinkedIn and message people? Or? <laughs> no. That, <laughs> it's like, it's so funny how little I use LinkedIn now. Yes. I... You know, because I, I want to be one of those people who's just naturally really networking. good at networking and taking the initiative to and be like, oh, just for no reason, I'm going to meet with you because we're in the same industry or kind of, so or you, you sound interesting. want to be the kind of person that I hate. Like what you're saying. <laughs> like, I feel like those are the kind of people who are successful, but I've realized that really the best thing to push you to talk to people on LinkedIn is the need to survive and find a job. Yes. And once you already have a job, at least for me, it takes away a lot of that desire. I, to be entirely honest, that's a lot of the reason that I talk to anyone, right? Is like the the desire to survive, I think. Like, <laughs> so what, what's your what's your takeaway? What would you tell people? I mean, I, I think because for me, you know, growing up, uh, you know, I, I always was very motivated and wanted to do well in school, go to a good university so that I could get a good job. And, and there's always that fear 
when you're a highly motivated student, like at each point you're you're worried about failing, and and every time where you get a a, a good grade on a exam or a paper, it's almost more like relief than happiness, because like you know it could have gone bad, and it's almost like relief that you escaped. Yeah. yeah. That like you escaped one more opportunity where you could have failed, and it just kind of this pressure builds, and throughout high school and college, I, I really had not had that many setbacks at least like academically or professionally things had gone pretty smoothly for me right um you know like it yeah in college not 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 that many things that that went too bad and you know i even though i had to apply for a lot of jobs coming out of college and you know got i did i did end up with a couple of offers which is more than a lot of other people at that time that was 2012 the, the economy was still not that good true so like up to that point of having my first job in New York after college, like things had gone pretty smoothly and I had kind of had this attitude, well, you know, I guess they should go smoothly. Like I've worked hard. Like, you know, I will, like I even thought of myself at one point, like, I think I actually like had this thought and this is probably why all this happened to me. Okay. I had a thought, I was like, you know, like I might never get fired in my life. Wow. And you were so wrong. Yeah, I was so wrong about it. I could not have been more wrong. Well, you could have been careful. You're still on this one job that we want you to keep. Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> but but anyways, I guess it, it it was one of those things like it teaches you a lesson that you can, you know, work hard and do a lot of the right things, but there's there, there are just factors that you can't control. And yeah. at some point everyone is going to go through setbacks and difficulties it it, it just yeah. it, it's it's a matter of when and what form they take and you just have to find a way to dig deep be strong and come out of those and kind of have the 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 perseverance to say like okay it's i can get through this this is really rough but you know i i can see the I can see the other side like there's this isn't a, a reason to to give up there is another side so for all of our listeners out there that means you're gonna get fired one day <laughs> and you're gonna cry in front of your boss <laughs> yeah and then you're gonna go back to a cold Airbnb <laughs> in Hong Kong um, alone alone uh, but it'll all be okay, I think, is what yeah. I'm trying to tell you. Yeah, it'll eventually be okay. I mean, you might get fired from another job right after that. Like, you might need to get fired twice before it... You might get fired twice. Some of you might even get fired three times. Um, yeah. Um, there's a certain charm to the number three, though, so don't panic. Yeah. So, that's kind of, for me, the defining wow. story arc of my professional life, I think, in terms of overcoming... Uh, in overcoming obstacles and All kind right. of how it got me to where I am today, uh, both living in living in China, working for the NBA, and doing comedy. Wow. Well, that is uh, that is Ben Frank's professional and slight personal spice thrown into that story. Thanks, Ben. Yeah. Oh, thank you, Ida. This is uh, thank you, thank yeah. you, everybody, for listening to the Failure Show. Yeah. Um, I'm Ben Frank. I'm Ida Knox. Until next time. Bye, guys. Bye.